KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Supporters of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris flooded the streets across San Diego on Saturday. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin Nadler was there, and he says there were also protests in support of President Donald Trump, who is still contesting the election results. Out front of the county administration building, dozens of supporters gathered to wave at drivers, holding high their Trump 2020 flags. The group included Joshua Cantor from El Cajon. I'm here today to stand for an election of integrity where everybody's vote is counted and counted accurately. I think there are some very big and valid concerns that need to be addressed. Cantor says the shift of mail-in ballots in Biden's favor, as opposed to election day votes, which tended to favor the president, made him concerned the vote was somehow fraudulent. But despite the president's claims and those of some of his supporters, there has been no evidence of voter fraud in an attempt to change the outcome of the presidential election. At a Hillcrest celebration of Biden's victory, Melanie Stark broke into tears. Overall, America says my marriage is valid. My healthcare is valid. My right to adopt and foster is valid. I mean, today I have hope. In his victory speech Saturday night, Biden touted the fact that he's won more votes than any presidential ticket in history, calling his win a victory for the people. Meanwhile, in San Diego's East County, Democrat Amar Campanajar conceded the race for the vacant 50th congressional district seat. Campanajar tweeted that he spoke to his opponent, former Republican Representative Daryl Issa, and congratulated him on a hard-fought race. Issa was leading on Friday with about 53% of the vote, according to the results from the California Secretary of State's office. It's Monday, November 9th, and you're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. We'll find out tomorrow if San Diego moves into the state's purple, most restrictive COVID-19 tier. Last week, the adjusted positive coronavirus case rate for San Diego County was past the state's threshold for moving into that tier. If we report similar metrics this week, the county will see more restrictions on business operations. KPBS business commentator Miro Kopik is the founder of Bottom Line Marketing. He says retail businesses could be affected the most with the holiday shop shopping season so near. Retailers uh, that are deemed non-essential go from 50% capacity indoors to 25%, which means that um, a lot of small businesses may go under. If the county does enter into the purple tier, Copic added that businesses with indoor traffic such as restaurants, salons, and gyms may have to move outside again even as the temperatures drop. 
Sending every registered voter in California a mail-in ballot might become a permanent feature for future elections. The practice was put in place by Governor Gavin Newsom to reduce risk during the pandemic. State Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins says it all worked smoothly during last week's election. She says Democrats in the Senate and the Assembly are likely to take up the issue of making it the new normal next year. UC San Diego students, staff, and faculty can use a COVID tracking program on their phones to tell them if they've been exposed to the virus. As KPBS reporter Claire Tregesser tells us, the plan is to make this tool available statewide. The alert came through a few days after BC, a student at UCSD, arrived on campus. A person you are recently near has reported they tested positive for COVID-19, it said. Based on the strength and duration of the signals between the two phones, there is a good chance you were exposed to the virus. The message came from the Google Apple Exposure Notification Express tool, a program UC San Diego students, faculty, and staff can install on their phones to let them know if they've been near someone who tested positive for COVID-19. The tool uses Bluetooth technology on phones, not GPS data, to determine whether two phones have been in close proximity. BC, who asked to be identified by her initials to protect her privacy, says she wasn't surprised by the news. My roommate told me that one of them, one of the people we were with had test positive. But so yeah, I was expecting it. But for someone who wasn't expecting it, that would, that would probably be really scary. Still, she appreciated the clear instructions from the alert. It's telling you next steps now. It's not just up to me. I was officially notified, you know. UC San Diego has employed an ambitious reopening plan that so far seems to be paying off. Everyone on campus completes a daily health screening and is tested every 12 days. Since the start of the semester, the school has had 47 students test positive. Meanwhile, at San Diego State University, Testing protocols were adopted later after students arrived on campus. Since the start of its semester, the school has had 1,275 cases. The COVID app program is one tool meant to help keep cases at bay. It's being piloted at UC San Diego and UC San Francisco with the eventual goal to expand to other UC campuses and eventually the entire state, says Dr. Christopher Longhurst, the chief information officer at UC San Diego. Like it is an aug augmentation to manual contact tracing which works great for household contacts and, you know, people you live with and, and people that you might eat lunch with because they're your best friends. Where um, contact tracing falls apart is people you don't know, right? It's the stranger at the, the grocery store or the bar or the restaurant or the college party. The university is going to great lengths to protect users' privacy to the point where it's hard for the school to know whether the program is having much impact. We don't actually know who's turned the app on, right? What we know is like who clicked on the website to like download the profile or the app. We're, we're fairly confident that we have north of 14,000 users at this point. The university doesn't know how many people have installed the program and doesn't require students to use it. Also, if someone does decide to use the program, they can uninstall it at any time. 
Finally, people who test positive don't have to report it to the program. The only thing UC San Diego does know is that so far, about 12 people have reported a positive case through the program. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. The California Coastal Commission is adjusting its focus to put more of an emphasis on rising sea levels as the agency moves forward. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. The agency that monitors hundreds of miles of the coastal zone in California voted to approve a new strategic plan. The new guiding document strengthens the focus on coping with sea level rise. Surfrider Foundation's Jennifer Savage says... The issue is tough because the commission will have to balance the needs of property owners and the public. The new plan also considers environmental justice issues. For the past few years, a number of our state agencies have really gained a deeper understanding of how critical environmental justice is in their day-to-day operations. Savage says the commission will also continue to make sure that developers and property owners don't close off public access to beaches that has long been the focus of the agency. Eric Anderson KPBS News. California voters decided to legalize cannabis for recreational use back in 2016, but the governmental structure for legal sales and possession wasn't put in place until 2018. Now, two years later, Chula Vista is finally getting its first legal dispensary. KPBS reporter John Carroll explains why it took this long. Two years ago, voters in Chula Vista approved Measure Q, authorizing commercial cannabis retail, delivery, testing, cultivation, and manufacturing in the city. Deputy City Manager Kelly Bacon says city officials were surprised by the amount of applications they received, about 140. She says the city wanted only the best operators, and that meant a lengthy vetting process. They had to submit their business plan and their operating plan, and it took quite a bit of time. The first dispensary, Grasshopper Delivery, will only operate as a delivery service for now. Bacon says they'll have a brick-and-mortar operation open early next year. Chula Vista allows three cannabis businesses per city district. That translates to two retail stores and one delivery operation. Bacon says available licenses are all taken, but it's not clear when those businesses will open. John Carroll, KPBS News. Coming up on the podcast, it's been more than six months since the death of Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen. Critics are saying the military still isn't doing enough to address sexual assault and harassment in the ranks. I have yet to see someone get kicked out for sexual harassment or sexual assault, and that is the absolute problem. That story next, after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Critics say the Army isn't doing enough to address sexual harassment and sexual assault in the ranks. The outcry comes after the killing of Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen this spring. Her family says Guillen's alleged killer had been harassing her, but she was afraid to report it. Army leaders say they are addressing the issue. From San Antonio, Jolene Almendarez reports for the American Homefront Project. 
Thousands of people have joined forces online and in protests across the country to make their voices heard about rape, sexual harassment, and assault in the military. San Antonio Army veteran Sarah is one of them. She says she experienced everything from sexual comments to attempted rape. It started in basic training and then got worse. That's when everything else started happening, like the guys slapping my ass, them making comments about the things that they would do. And I mean, and it went all the way from privates to master sergeants. Sarah asked that we not use her last name because she fears harassment or revenge. She says those kinds of sexual comments were normal in the military. You work in an environment as a female and it's a predominantly male environment. And men talk, you know, men say things that they shouldn't say and it's just a joke. I mean, we had guys that would come in and tell us about what they did to their wife last night. Sarah says a sergeant sexually assaulted her after a night of playing pool and drinking. He took photos of her and showed other soldiers they worked with. She says later a lieutenant tried to rape her at a friend's apartment. The Army says none of this is supposed to happen. In 2006, it launched the Sexual Harassment Assault Response and Prevention Program called SHARP. Jim Hellis oversees the Army SHARP program. These are issues of critical importance, not only to our readiness, but to taking care of soldiers. It is not of importance to every commander up and down the chain of command. This is how he says SHARP is supposed to work. Soldiers who are harassed or assaulted can file either a restricted or unrestricted report. Restricted reports allow them to get medical help and other services and are withheld from the chain of command, but they can't seek legal action against the perpetrator. Unrestricted reports allow legal action, but the soldier's chain of command is told about the investigation. According to the Department of Defense, about 25% of women in the military reported sexual harassment in 2018. The numbers increased about 10% the next year. Reported sexual assault increased about 3%. But the Army doesn't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Hellis says it's a sign that the SHARP program is making a difference. What we've seen over the last several years is we've seen increases in the numbers of reports and the percentage of cases uh, that are being reported with women. I, I take that as signs that there is an increasing confidence in the chain of command and in confidence in the system to, uh, to, to report uh, incidents of sexual assault, sexual harassment. There's no way to know if the increased number of reports are because the SHARP program is working well or if more people are being victimized. But there's a gap in what is being reported and what people are experiencing. For instance, Sarah never reported the comments, sexual assault, or attempted rape. So I had other friends that I would talk to, and they would tell me, like, well, I made a sharp complaint, and nothing ever got done about it. And her experience in the Army isn't unique. I can't think of one woman that can say she's never experienced sexual harassment. That's Deshauna Barber, CEO of the Service Women's Action Network, known as SWAN. She's been an Army reservist for around 10 years. Barber said Army culture lacks a basic understanding of what sexual harassment means, despite regular training on it. And she says even when sex crimes are reported, perpetrators aren't necessarily discharged from the Army or even prosecuted. I see soldiers get kicked out of the military so often for, for DUIs and drug-related offenses. I have yet to see someone get kicked out for sexual harassment or sexual assault. And that is the absolute problem. There are efforts in Congress to take on some of the barriers soldiers face when reporting sex crimes. But unless the military culture changes, activists say that might still not be enough. I'm Jolene Almendares in San Antonio.
This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.